0: You're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. Permaculture is a term that you've probably heard if you're a bit of a hippie or if you've been hanging around in organic gardening circles for a while now. In this episode, we'll be digging into the 12 principles of this philosophy which are observe and interact, catch and store energy, obtain a yield, apply self-regulation and accept feedback, use and value renewable resources, produce no waste, design from patterns to details, integrate rather than segregate, use small and slow solutions, use and value diversity, use edges and value the marginal, and creatively use and respond to change. Our guests are Linda and Paul Michener, whom you might remember from the previous episode on organic gardening. Welcome back to the show, guys. Thank you. (laughs) Can you tell us about how the concept of permaculture was first started and how it became its own sort of discipline within horticulture?
1: It started in the 70s originally, and I think it was the second or is it the first phase of environment movement? With uh, Bill Mollison and David Hallgrim, started uh, re- originally in Tasmania, and it was the ethos was permanent agriculture it was the original statement that they they joined to get permaculture. I think uh, as time went on, it became permanent culture because it expanded out of agriculture and just food production into energy production and housing and you know, whole, the whole human settlement. So originally, yeah, back in the 70s, and it's expanded from there. If you ever get the, the opportunity to go to a permaculture meeting or join a club, you should do so. There's, there's very vibrant sort of people involved. And uh, we had the opportunity a few years ago to go to the convergence, the Australian per- Permaculture Convergence. And that was fascinating uh, how permaculture has expanded since the 70s just from uh, almost as well people saw it as a style of gardening but it's actually developed right into organizations of and businesses that actually you know run run alongside government shires and and small businesses where people actually get involved in people's households and develop. Ways of uncluttering their house and their life and getting organized is, is quite a fascinating experience. So it is uh, still going on in the background permaculture as, and it's, and like I said, it's much, much more than gardening these days.
2: I don't even know that it's running in the background. I mean, it's being adopted in a lot of uh, mainstream educational systems and schools and things are uh, offering certificates and diplomas. So it's definitely growing because I think people see that it has answers to some of the problems of society. And yeah, it's I think it's a great thing. I think it yeah, it's from its hippie roots, as Paul was sort of trying <laughs> to get to, I think it's mm. it's becoming more and more mainstream and mm. and accepted.
0: So again, we're talking about a kind of a philosophy here. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Absolutely.
2: But with lots of practical applications.
0: Yeah. It would just like organic gardening as well. And I suppose those two concepts are almost a little bit compatible together.
2: Yeah, they are. But there's there are noticeable differences. Like an organic gardener will not use chemicals, but they might still have their veggie garden, as Paul said, behind the back shed in the far corner of the yard. Whereas someone mm. who was doing a permaculture design would have their veggie garden Probably closer to the house and next to their compost bin and and all the rest that's of it. Kitchen, yeah, near their kitchen, and they mm. may. That's probably unlikely, but they may end up using even uh, pesticides or herbicides because it's part of energy. That energy comes into the whole focus of permaculture, so they, they're unlikely to. But just when just being devil's advocate because energy uh, and applications of also come into the, the planning and the, the permaculture system.
1: It's almost a design, well, it's pretty much a design ethos. So you systemize everything so that nothing goes to waste and it all gets used. So, so you're using all your waste as well. So, yeah, a design process more than anything.
2: Yeah, and it's not dissimilar necessarily to organics. They often do go hand in hand, but they're not necessarily... Exactly the same. You might
0: say that maybe permaculture is a kind of a step up, you know, a little bit more, yeah, a bit more hectic than organic. But you, yeah, it would yeah. you'd be hard pressed to find a permaculture gardener who doesn't take on organic principles.
2: Yes, I would hundred uh, uh, percent agree. Yep.
0: Exactly, it sort of comes
1: under organic gardening comes under that umbrella, I suppose. Mm.
0: So we can talk about twelve principles when it comes to permaculture. Can we just start with the first one, which is observe and interact? What does that mean?
1: Well, that's what we're talking about. If you are starting a garden, we often ask our customers, like if they're, they're going to make a design for their backyard, they've just moved into a house. It's often the best thing to do, different stages of the day, is sit out in the backyard and just observe what's going on, of what resources they have there, where the shade is, where's the, where are the big trees, where's the wind coming from, where does the sun you know shine the longest and that sort of thing so observing is just watching what happens what birds are coming into your yard Mm. what birds aren't coming into your yard you know Mm. all the what wildlife's there what what can you utilize i suppose in your design in your in uh, what resources you have because Whenever you're going to design anything the the first stage you you always need to start with is um what what are your limitations, so I suppose you're you're just trying to grasp what what limitations you have, and it makes the design easier, the more limitations you have
0: well, can that actually be enjoyable, perhaps even just observing your garden
2: oh absolutely oh, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah exactly, exactly. yeah. Well, you know, it's all to do with getting the results you want and it's having the patience to take the time to observe and interact rather than bulldoze in and just say, I'm going to do this here and do that there. It's, as Paul said, it's sitting back and looking at the resources and the benefits and the limitations and trying to be clever about how you work mm-hmm. things out and what's going to work. Absolutely. Step one. Mm.
0: And that comes up again and again in this podcast, just being observant in the garden.
2: Absolutely, yep. Yeah.
0: So principle number two is catch and store energy. What are we talking about here, guys?
1: Well, it's, this is where you talk about energy could be sunlight, could be wind, could be waste products such as, you know, composting material. So water drain, you know, draining off the roof where, you know, what's happening to that. So it's an all-inclusive kind of plan that you would, you would start with. So you're taking advantage of all the resources that are available to you. So if water is running off a roof and just running straight into, uh, you know, um, storm
2: water, storm or, something, water yeah. or
1: something like that, you, yeah. can, you can take advantage of that, maybe put that into uh, so it gets stored in a small pool or something or into a wicking bed, that Hmm.
2: sort of thing. Or directed to trees or your orchard or things like that. So it's a case of, again, low-tech but smart design. Hmm. Simply not wasting that water
0: is a really intelligent way to be gardening.
2: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. such a precious resource in Australia for sure. Mm -hmm. Especially in Perth.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. So number three is obtain a yield. So that sounds pretty obvious. So what are we talking about here, guys?
2: Well, trying to make the most out of what you're growing, I suppose. So, um, because if if you,
1: it, it could be just what you're growing, but it could also be again water. It could be mm. obtaining materials from a worm farm that can increase your your yield of a crop. So you're always looking at some sort of re- resource out of you know what's available to you. Because if, if you think about permaculture in a sense, you, you, you're trying to, you don't, if it was the original idea is that you don't have a store to go and buy this material for, uh, where permaculture is used a lot is in some really remote communities where they've just got a they have to take advantage of any resources that come their way. So you'll look at storing water, you'll look at composting so that you can make a good soil so you can grow more food or even animals so you could a ha- good example is chickens chickens are always at the center of a usually at the always at the center of a permaculture system where they yield eggs potential meat manure and they get rid of your scraps and can deal with pests so you get a yield in or in many ways from them
0: So again, we're talking about more than just what's obvious.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's also the yeah, exactly. It's also very good to have animals, like a yield could be from chickens or having animals around. If you are bringing up young children, it's always beneficial where they learn how to look after something, or Mm. they get educated where food comes from, and they also get educated of life and death and
0: Mm. you know
1: predators and. Animals that get preyed on that sort of thing, so the the food chain, so they learn a lot about nature, so it's mm. you know there's there's many yields <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you can even have like a psychological yield of learning, as you said, which is yeah, not immediately yeah. obvious mm.
1: true mm. and they they uh, use it in schools for kids with issues you know or have you know trouble childhoods or you know Mm. not grace great they're not coming from great households it can be quite therapeutic to look after something so
0: Mm. totally absolutely so number four we're talking about apply self-regulation and accept feedback what does that mean
2: (laughs) accept feedback that sounds easy Well, I guess I guess it's fairly obvious really. It's it's again about learning. If you're observing, yeah, you know, it's admitting that when something didn't work and figuring out a different way to do it, you know. Just not necessarily raping and pillaging everything from your your garden, you know, allowing things to self seed, allowing cycles to continue. But yeah, you learn it. that's the way I see it. Yeah. You can see it differently. Well the
1: except in the feedback too is what we were just talking about is you know, observing. So you're observing what actually happens. So that that's feedback. Everything you know that I grew in shade. All my cabbages got attacked by aphids. You know, that's feedback. This ain't working. So what can we do next? Mm. So you move and develop a system on. Find out what what it was missing, or you know, cut a branch off a tree so that your cabbages get more light. That sort of thing. So mm. that's how I see that sort of how that how that works how that
0: principle works right so it's not just feedback from people it's also feedback from the garden itself yeah, yeah. from
1: uh all your pros yeah from all your projects and design mm.
0: so number five now we're coming to use and value renewable resources and services can you speak on that please
1: well it's talking about valuing you know renewable sources so Sources that you can reuse. So this would come into recycling or repurposing different materials, uh, resources that come your way, uh, and services could hit a whole range of aspects of permaculture, especially if you're dealing with animals where you need to get rid of the old, an old way of like getting rid of blackberries is, um, You know, let the cows in. Put throw some apples, or there used to be an old way of um, actually growing an apple tree in the middle of a blackberry bush, and the cows would trample the blackberry bush to get to the apples (laughs) and actually eat the tree. (laughs) So that's one way. I see, you know, resources and renewable source resources and services, as well as you know, other people. You can swap produce with other. Swap, you know, your your excess of pumpkins with uh, your electrician for him to put a power cord. At, um, yeah, it can
2: come down to like labour exchange and yeah. you know labour systems that um that are renewable resources, really. You know, and uh, permaculture groups are a great place because they often have that kind of system. Yeah, going. that kind of
1: swapping. Is if you find that you know you grow a massive amount of tomatoes but you can't grow. You know zucchinis, you can find someone that grows zucchinis and swap them, those sort of things so
2: or you get together with someone who's got a bottling sort of arrangement and you work together, so you both get the the end product that you need, so yeah. they get traded for their time and energy, and you've got something of value for your product, so yeah, that's kind of the way I see it
1: and it sort of works as an alternate bartering economy, I suppose. Isn't it? When you when you really, if you join a permaculture group, you'll you'll find this happening all the time. People are, are swapping seeds or produce for other services, or you know, some if someone can't grow something, like I said before, and they're a really a good mechanic, it's a, a good way of bartering resources. So that's how I see that.
0: So number six is produce
1: no waste. Yeah, well. Uh, The idea is produce no, no waste is, uh, you you, reuse everything. All your composting material goes, gets composted. Anything else you'd recycle, you try, if you're buying anything, you try not to buy it, you know, with excess packaging. So you're not throwing away too much. I've uh, seen examples of people using bottles as light lampshades and all sorts of things so you can get really creative but i think in a good example of no waste is in uh, india where they they've actually used plastic coke bottles as uh, skylights in some dwellings you know because there's everyone's so poor that they actually cut a hole in the tin that they've got on the roof and put coke bottles on it's in there and it acts as a skylight so that's just an example, but, you know, there's, there's, you try not to waste anything.
0: So we've got number seven here is design from patterns to details. What are we talking
2: about here? Yep. Well, yeah, a lot of these kind of things, they're, they're very much interwoven, and I think that's, that's the whole permaculture ethos really in a nutshell, is that uh, if you look back, you know, there's all sorts of patterns in nature And I guess it's like when we were discussing the soil a little bit before, we're talking about trying to emulate nature because she's got a few millennia on us as far as doing things. And so, yeah, if we can sort of look for patterns in things, then we can hopefully make those work for us and work on the the larger, I suppose, criteria first and then, and then drill down to the details. If that makes any sense, yeah.
1: I suppose I've always had in mind. They talk about this is uh, when you have two elements that meet, you always get uh, reoccurring patterns. This is, I suppose, it's not totally what they're talking about. But for example, if you were up in a plane and you watched a river snaking inland or out of the hills as it starts drying out, you have a similar, similar patterning to branches growing up into the air so there's there's lots of reoccurring patterns in when different elements meet each other you see this a lot Mm -hmm. in nature you see it in your blood vessels as it as your blood vessels snake out through through skin and that sort Mm -hmm. of things it's a way you can sort of utilize those patterns in your designing of your say your permaculture systems also patternings could mean animal behaviour or people behaviour. You can use that to you know, as a resource. So mm. it's, it's kind of a, a design a design uh, tool that you could you can utilise out of nature. Is that a bit vague or (laughs) it's? um,
0: It is quite vague. So you're talking about like patterns as in like blood vessels and trees and stuff like that. Yeah. It sounds like what you're saying is we're not necessarily looking for straight lines here. No. You're trying to, you're trying to, if you, if you were designing a, say, a property
1: or even, you know, say, say you're designing a property and, you want to, you know, you got to decide where you're going to put orchards, where you're going to harvest water from, that sort of thing. You can potentially use these, these natural patternings or patterns that occur naturally in that design. So, hmm. So you, say you want to grow goats, you, you want to have goats that you're going to use to keep weeds down and, and you're going to get milk and you're also going to get meat from them. What their behavior is. So you look at their, their, their behavior and their habits and you build their enclosure into your system so that they can do what they naturally do. But you get the benefits that the benefits, you know, benefit the property. If you know what I mean. Mm. So yeah.
0: It actually makes a lot of sense when you say it like that, because you don't see straight lines in nature, no, that's and you right. don't see that's you know, segregated. Right. Is- when a, when the hill comes down to the valley, you'll see it'll sort of change over a little a little amount of space. It's not like the ferns are in one patch and there's a very straight line. That line will squiggle, and you'll see a bit of differentiation along the border yeah, there. that's right
1: yeah. and it's also yeah, you see it in so many so many different ways yeah, like I was saying, the way water rolls over land or it'll always mm. go the same way, you know. So if you're going to make a natural drain or a natural creek line, use those natural areas where it'll go so you don't have to use, you know, digging, you know, get equipment in to, to dig where, you know, you want it to go but it takes a lot of energy to get a front-end loader in and dig a, a trench. You might be able to just utilise mm. the natural patterns of the land So you would put your orchard where the water naturally goes. Rather than on
2: top of a hill where you've got to pump the water to it. Yeah, so you've
1: got to use extra resources to get it there.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you put it like that, why aren't we doing this? Of course this is how it should be done. Yeah,
2: it seems so logical, doesn't it? Yeah, it's
1: (laughs) the way we build houses now. We have black roofs and massive air conditioners, like, you know, it's no eaves on the houses, like. You know, we could do a much. We could do much better in designing and des- designing the communities that we live in if we sort of utilise some of these ideas.
0: Now we're going to talk about number eight, which is integrate rather than segregate, and this is sort of it sounds a lot like what you were just talking about before when we're talking about design from patterns to details. How are these two principles different?
2: Well, it's a tricky question because they they are. I think a lot of these are. quite similar
0: really yeah
1: well well i think it's it's talking about integrating so you all aspects if you're if you're setting up a design again for a say a property you integrate all your resources so you include everything in your design which could be you know a, a neighbor who you know a neighbor's property who's draining their swimming pool or something you know like the water's coming on your Property, so you integrate the whole area into the design, all the resources that are available. Again,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and yeah, I guess it's and it's not necessarily just with regards to design. I guess integrate rather than, than segregate. You can look at that from a, a social perspective and things about like we were talking a little bit for, before when we're talking about use renewable resources and services being human resources this can come down to integrate Mm. rather than segregate as well. So we can look at a a community and how we work together to share skills, to exchange. Really it it can also incorporate part of that uh, as far as the Even just
1: building a sense of community is a healthy sort of human society, I suppose. Mm. That's where they were talking about Mm. permaculture as being permanent culture. So it 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 expanded from ag- just agriculture to the whole community and the way and the way you interact Absolutely. with each other.
0: So number 9 again we're really talking about the same things here again and again and again just with a slightly different nuance here within the philosophy. We're going to say use small and slow solutions.
2: Yeah and and it does come down to the, a lot of these on the principles of the emphasis that you, you're putting on them, but basically this is like what Paul was saying before. You know, why bring in a front end loader to dig a drainage ditch if you can look at how the water is flowing on your land and it's it's coming off a slope? So you can utilize that. It's a basic system of drainage that's already there, so you can improve it without trying to play god and and really impact things. I guess that's what my understanding is mm-hmm. is to try and have a smaller footprint and do minimal damage to the land and the environment as you're yeah. building things.
1: I suppose slow solutions you'd look at remineralizing the soil, properly, you know, so get the analysis done if um, it's mm. just an example and use basic minerals that last longer mm. in the soil rather than a quick hit and you get a crop and then you've got to keep keep adding that nutrient. You sort of over time you want to be putting less material in there, like bringing it in from somewhere else. So a slow solution would be building up the soil profile using the animal manures that you've got on the property or any other wastes I'm talking just a small farm, I suppose, but that's just an example. You can use that in many systems, but the slower solutions are often the best, have less environmental impact, and and can give you a really good results. So, but all of this Mm -hmm. takes a lot of creativity and uh, a good plan. So, it's you know it is it is a lot of planning is needed.
0: Mm, absolutely this is as we're getting through this list i think now we're starting to realize just everything is about these observations about taking it slow about really thinking about how nature works and really being smart about this rather than just racing in like a bullet a gate yeah, yeah exactly. absolutely yeah. which
2: goes against our human nature really because we're trying to fix things we're trying to <laughs> do things and fix things yeah. but oftentimes it ain't broke to begin mm. with
0: mm-hmm that's so
2: true
0: so here we're going to come to number 10 use and value diversity
1: yeah it's it's like if you've ever worked in a group with a group of people that people always come they might not be good at one thing but they have a uh, real value or real strengths in in other areas or talents in other areas really good way to look at you know your community and the people around you and how you can work together
2: hmm. yeah yeah because mm. yeah it, i'm just sort of also looking at a bit of a cheat sheet here too which i kind of wish i'd done earlier but it talks about here you know it reduces <laughs> vulnerability to a variety of threats and that's true like if uh this is where mm-hmm. it comes down to like for example monoculture farming where if you're growing all of one crop and all of a sudden there's a disease or pest that Is strikes that one crop, then you've lost everything. But diversity would actually Mm. mean that you are, you have other sources of food because you've got other crops in the ground or other trees that are producing. So you value the diversity on your own property in your backyard and it supports itself and they support each other. And in turn, then they support us. I think that's kind of the way I saw that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's, That's a good way. Yeah. So in one garden, this is just talking about gardening, obviously, but rather than just having a crop of potatoes on its own, you might have potatoes at the front and then, um, other, other crops around the, you know, around the, yeah. the area. So you're, you don't have to worry about crop rotation quite as much. So you're, you're, you know, there's a lot less risk of pest infestation.
0: And I'm going to ask you about companion planting too in a couple of questions time. So, yeah, we're not quite going to get there yet, but that really ties in with what you're talking about here. So when we talk about number 11, using edges and valuing the marginal, what does that mean?
2: Well, you were talking a bit about before where you're coming down the side of a hill and you've got your ferns and your trees and whatever, your your grass plains, that in nature – There's not straight lines between them. There's the edges and the Mm. margins where things are is often where there's more biodiversity in the first place. So it's, it's oftentimes there's some, how do you explain it? Good resources there or
1: to utilize. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: Exactly. The edges and the marginal, like, uh, don't just sort of have a dry. Edge to your garden bed. There's still things that you could grow on the edge of your garden bed, like a trailing vine that will grow down the side of the garden yeah. bed, and in return, in return, give it some shelter and protection, perhaps from the afternoon sun. Little things like that. Like, um yeah, just view things differently, I suppose. It's
1: one way mm. I look at this is when we make garden beds. Uh, I often make them out of rocks. So we have a undulating edge to that garden bed so you can actually walk into a called cool keyhole bed where you can actually walk into the edge of the garden and then you've got all the plants growing around you and you can just re- reach in and pick any crops that are available. It's using those edges so you can, you know, you're not just dealing with straight lines all the time like people tend to do. We we tend to uh, plant trees all in a straight line. You might stagger them around uh, particular trees around a, um, a damp area, say melaleucas, where you feed birds, and you know you you sort of add biodiversity to that edge because it's damper or swampier than other places. That's probably not a mm. good best example, but. <laughs>
0: Mm -hmm. no it does make a lot of sense what you're saying what you're saying is that monocrops where there's a huge field with not a whole lot else the greater diversity is going to be on the edges of that not in the middle of correct yeah Yeah. well
1: it might not it might not be great for the crop you're growing to grow you know and in that area so put trees that give you another crop or feed your animals or or feed you or or just feed the wildlife Mm. Because we're always Mm. displacing wildlife as we're clearing land. so
0: Totally. And number 12, the last principle is creatively use and respond to change. Now, change is a scary word for a lot of gardeners. Yeah,
2: it is. Well, it's for for humans, really, because we all like our little comfort zone. So I guess it's it's, uh, about trying to see changes as uh, potential opportunities and that on a larger scale, when you're looking at something like climate change, that is very scary. But I suppose, well, what can we look at there? I think globally it's a huge big issue, but on a on a very micro scale, maybe it will mean that you'll be able to grow something that you couldn't grow before, which not necessarily probably the best answer to that question. <laughs> but, but yeah, I think that's just really, I suppose, just trying to look at things in a different way and respond to problems and and find ways to, not just i suppose run away in terror but think okay well change is inevitable so what can we do what is the best way forward through this how much do we have to intervene and and what what can we do what's in our power what's not in our power i don't know what do yeah. you see and as
1: it? It, well it's all part of the plan isn't it Ed? so if you if you are able to see what What's happening, say, if you're on a property and you see it's drying out and you're losing the water, um, how are you going to respond to that? Do you need to change your water harvesting habits or, you know, I always always look at this as some sort of desert property in a community but you could do this at (laughs) home. So a good example these days is getting built up around a property where people are building double story houses around you and you're blocking out your light how are you going to respond to that do you move mm. or do you um put your garden your veggie garden out the front where there's more light or can you raise it up somehow or
0: or do you plant low light plants yes yeah, that's right that's exactly. right. a giant mirror in the sky exactly <laughs> that's right. well
2: mirrors on walls work <laughs> that's a little permy trick <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah yeah because you can yeah. sort of reflected light can be be helpful so yeah mm.
1: so
0: yeah you said that you're talking about your plans here and there's a funny little saying that i like make plans and god laughs, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: it's pretty true i guess that's where the uh, the accepting feedback <laughs> yeah. comes into play yeah. <laughs> definitely
0: and the observing and all the other exactly. ones exactly yeah, right? yeah that's that's right. together there. Yep. so when we're talking about Permaculture, we're talking about a philosophy and we've got a bunch of tools in our toolbill that we can use. So, a lot of gardeners are going to know terms such as no dig, crop rotations, companion planting, Mm. integrated pest management. Can you speak again, just sort of summarize how permaculture helps regenerate soil and biodiversity and sort of also can just help human happiness as well?
1: Yeah, well, as far as integrating all of that, Seeing a healthy garden is uh, quite—it's really good for your <laughs> your mental health. And actually doing <laughs> it is quite good at uh, actually doing the physical work of the garden is quite good for you as well. The yeah, you're talking about biodiversity. the The more plants, like Linda was talking about it, the more plants you put in an area. The, you're not going to get so much of a, a pest infestation. Cause if you put a, a good example, say a line of broccolis, your pests can just go from one broccoli to the next and have a good old time. They get a, you know, a very bumper crop of, uh, broccoli. But if you're, if you're growing amongst, amongst that broccoli, you're growing, uh, or, a range of other flowers and sorrels and, Things that have different tastes and different um,
2: colours and different colours, yeah. Mm. And
1: often um, things like yarrow or parsley they have particular flowers that attract predatory uh, hoverflies and and um, also long grasses. If you have long grass in an area, you will attract ladybirds, which they're you know the the larvae stages of a lot of these insects are very predatory, so they will actually what you know, wipe out a lot of sap sucking, aphids and other creatures like that. Just the idea of companion planting is uh get of biodiversity going. Mm. The old even the old English garden, the original idea of an English garden was a lot of biodiversity. See so that potatoes growing down one side of the, the path and the rest to be all different uh flowers and a lot of the flowers you could actually eat and you still can. But people just don't, don't associate it as food. <laughs> there's a there's a <laughs> lot of salad plants. I think cornflower some of the cornflowers were actually uh lettuce leaves. A lot of the weeds that You get around, especially in uh, Europe, and um, you might even get them over East, you know, like the different thistles, the Scottish thistle and all those, they were often staples for medieval people, you know, people in medieval times. So, you know, there's, there's, you can, you can get very creative in these sort of, in the way you grow things. I often have raised garden beds now where around the garden bed there's an area which I've cultivated. So when the raised garden bed's actually grown, the seeds just drop around and Mm. you'll get, and they grow, they just come up as weeds. I do that a lot with cos lettuce and artichokes, um, Mm. coriander, some basils will actually just grow as weeds. So... I call it the meadow method. <laughs> it's a really good way <laughs> oh, of yeah. getting biodiversity and it takes a lot less effort to get a really good crop of some plants. They just grow where they want to grow and um, they're easier to deal with.
2: Well, we all know that the self sown tomatoes that come up in your compost are the, the hardiest ones that you ever grow, mm-hmm. the ones that you buy in the punnets and lovingly talk to on a daily basis sometimes struggle and (laughs) yet the ones that come up on their own (laughs) seem to just be tough as nails and do well so so many
1: pumpkins
2: yeah oftentimes those volunteer (laughs) crops can be really handy
0: I suppose they've been selected for by nature. Yeah. Exactly
2: right, yeah. And even times sometimes you think they're growing out of season but they do well because they're in the right spot and everything th- comes together. I yeah. think
1: that's a lot of the case. There's a lot of plants like a particular spot in the landscape. So some, if you notice that there's small microclimates on your property where you've got lower low-lying areas, often you're – You'll get plants that like growing in those areas, but you want it to grow up up on a hill near the house. And it just, you can't get it going. It's just they like to be in particular areas in the landscape. So it's often uh, Mm. a good way to experiment with that, see where you can actually get a particular plant. And that's where the
2: the observe principle comes into play. It is, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Totally.
0: So are you guys able to recommend a permaculture society in Perth?
2: Uh, well, yeah, there is uh, the Permaculture Association of WA and Permaculture West, yeah. called. And called, yeah. and, yeah, they would have a lot of information because there's lots of smaller groups. A lot of permaculture is about local, so you'll find uh, people in your local mm. area. Uh, And that's great because they're growing in a similar place to you. They're they're around the corner if you need to pop over to give them a hand with something. So, yeah, oftentimes the local groups uh, are really amazing and and they build community, they build friendship. So I'd encourage you these days the internet makes everybody next door but track down your local group. Hmm.
0: And we're going to leave some links in the show notes for Perth and Check the show notes if you live in Melbourne or other cities around Australia because you might even find a link in there for your local area.
2: There'll be heaps, yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. So what is a permaculture certificate and how would someone achieve this level?
2: So there's lots of different courses now that are being run in permaculture. There are some certificates now that are being done in a lot of the high schools and TAFEs. But, again, your permaculture uh, groups, your societies would have a list of courses that are coming up because sometimes they can be private teachers, private uh, accredited practitioners that have gone through training and they've got the experience and the qualifications and they become teachers themselves. So usually those uh, details of upcoming courses will be advertised. Sometimes there's Facebook groups that will advertise it. So really it's a case of Looking at the course material that the presenter is going to be um, putting forward, because they do all have their their pet subject areas. Some might be gardening, others might be water harvesting, some might be renewable technologies and things like that. So, I guess do the research, find out what you're interested in, and uh, I guess find a course that sounds like it it has the information that you're looking for and. Usually you need to start with like an introductory course, an introduction to permaculture, which usually runs for a few hours minimum, sometimes a day. And then a a PDC is the old standard, which is a permaculture design certificate. And that is uh, a number of hours. It it does have like a curriculum basically. And obviously there are some variances in it, but there has to be uh, a basic core unit delivered. So the theory being that everybody who has done that permaculture design certificate has got a, a good foundational level of permaculture knowledge. So wherever they go in the world, you can attend conferences and things and get the benefit of it because you have got that that sort of basic qualification level. And from there, you can go on and do other certificates and diplomas and uh, even become a teacher. So there, there are career paths within permaculture for sure. And it's becoming more and more recognized and respected, I think, amongst horticulturalists mm-hmm. and and within the field of agriculture every year. So, yeah, there's definitely paths pathways there. Mm. Absolutely.
0: And just the same as every episode, I'd urge our listeners to check the show notes because there are going to be a bunch of relevant links there. So, guys, we've got that fun question again. Is there anything that you'd like the listeners to know about? <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, well, look, I reckon, look, my eyes really opened when I discovered permaculture. A like, Very quick background as to how we even got started in this business is Paul and I both had jobs in, in design fields. He was a graphic designer and I worked in clothing design. And we, when we got married, we built a house like a lot of other young couples do. And back then there wasn't even any landscaping packages. So we had a, ha- a house on a sand pad basically. And we became very aware of the fact that our plot of land and all the ones around us had been cleared. There was something there and the developer came along and took everything away. And we firstly wanted a garden that would complement our house. But secondly, we felt a little bit sort of of a responsibility to provide some kind of Environment for some of the displaced creatures. There was a lot of frogs around, there were birds, but there was nothing. So we started on a little bit of a journey to try and research at least some native and endemic species to our area that we could replant as part of a larger landscaping vision, I suppose. And from those little tiny baby steps, we really started to discover permaculture and we did permaculture design certificates and then decided that we really were looking for a tree change in our career and we felt there was an opportunity to to do something that you know would possibly sounds a bit corny but you know be beneficial for other people as well as ourselves so that's kind of where it all came from I think a lot of people can probably relate with that call yeah yeah and I guess that's kind of if I was trying to sort of you know uh, get people to uh to open their eyes or something i'd like them to know about is yeah learn about permaculture if you don't know a lot about it because you know, a lot of these principles it's kind of hard almost to explain them because they almost seem so logical yeah yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. and I, I think it's sad when you see people that have become so disconnected with nature and a lot of modern societies and particularly urban societies, people are. You know, they're the first sign of an insect, they just they have to kill it. You know, they don't even know what it is. They don't know what it does or if it's even going to be harmful. But that's how removed people are. And when people don't know where their food comes from, I think these are kind of pretty basic skills and knowledge that as yeah. a as a society we should be encouraging. So now you've got me on a rant, but I'll try yeah. and wind that up.
1: It's a really good thing to get young kids involved in as well, like even if you just start a very basic garden, I suppose, just producing some food, it's, you know, we talked about it before, the psychological and mental health uh, benefits are are just massive and kids, it really educates kids and gets them to empathise with uh, nature around them and, they make better decisions as they get older, especially about their health and, you know, the people and animals around them. So it's, it's massive. Mm. It's a
0: massive thing. Absolutely. No waka's guys, thank you so much for coming on the show again. Okay. I...
2: Our pleasure. Thanks for having us. Yeah,
0: thanks. The 12 principles of permaculture can guide us in a different approach to working on our land, and they can even extend beyond the garden into the rest of our lives. You can expect this philosophy to become more relevant as we move into the 21st century, and if you'd like to apply it to your life, you don't have to get it all perfect from day one. Remember rule nine and know that it's okay to take small and slow steps on your permaculture journey. If you haven't listened to the previous episode with Linda and Paul, episode 30 titled, Intro to Organic Gardening, chuck that one on for a listen now. Otherwise, I'm sure there's another episode on our back catalogue you haven't listened to yet. Who knows what you might learn?